Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. So I hope your week has gone well, and we are going to be looking forward to the weekend, which is always fun. So I'm glad you're joining me today. And I want to talk today about a very important part of relationship, and that is the power of being seen. And humans have this this innate primal need to be seen. And so as we are talking about how to have healthy relationships, what that does is allows us to truly be seen by the person that we are in relationship with. So this doesn't mean just to be looked upon, but to be seen and understood by another. It's being seen for who you really are. And it's the most powerful thing that a human can experience. It's such a significant truth. It's, It's being seen is a reality based feeling. It's real, it's true, and I'm still loved and still wanted. So when we are truly seen, we are validated and we are made to feel real. When we're seen, we feel connected. Because one of the things that happens with humans is if they are not seen, they don't, they don't feel relevant, they don't feel valid, and they don't really feel like they're real. And so I want to read you this verse. This is one of the most powerful passages, and it's Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. And it says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. This is what got Hagar through that horrible experience when she was out in the desert, when she was sent away by Sarah and with her little boy. And she thought she just set him down under a bush. She knew they were both going to die. And God saw her and helped her. And so I want you to, to, um, I'm going to describe one of the most powerful experiments that psychologists have have done. And this is Dr. Ed Tronick. And this was in 1975. And it's called the Still Face Experiment. And I I really want to encourage you to to look it up on, on the Internet. It is a very, very powerful video. And I'm going to describe this experience, this, this experiment that he did. A 12 to 16-month-old little girl is videotaped emotionally interacting with her mother. Both of them are smiling and they're pointing, they're cooing, they're laughing with each other, pointing at different things. Two minutes into the experiment, the mother is asked to turn away and then turn back, face the baby with a still face an expression that is completely unresponsive to anything the child does to to reconnect with the mother. And what you see is within seconds, you see this child's distress. She does everything she can to reconnect, even shrieking 
to get her mother to notice, to acknowledge her. She thinks to herself, where is my mommy? This doesn't look like my mommy. This isn't how she looks. She doesn't see me. And Dr. Tronick states that the child rapidly sobers and grows very wary, and she makes these repeated attempts to get interaction to its usual reciprocal connective pattern. And when these attempts fail, the infant even withdraws. She even turns her body away from her mother. She has a hopeless expression. It remains one of the most replicated findings in developmental psychology. This experiment has such a powerful and positive resolution in that while the infant experiences this emotional distress, and it's about 30 to 40 seconds, the recovery is almost instantaneous when the mother reconnects with the child. And this is what we call in um, counseling and psychology the rip and repair, the power of rip and repair. And what, would ha what we know is that we are never perfect parents, we're never perfect friends or spouses, but if we are willing, we can quickly repair the imperfect relating experiences that we give to one another. And the reward of this, our willingness to repair this disconnect, leads to resiliency within ourselves and it also strengthens the relationship. Now, obviously, we don't purposefully rip but we know that we are going to. We know that there are going to be times we don't handle things well. And so like the infant, our need to be seen is so powerful that we will even change our story or our appearance to make it safe to be seen. Many of us don't trust that others will love us if they really see us, if they really see who we are. So the need to be seen can drive us to even produce negative behavior if it means it will be noticed. I'm sure that you know when we talk about teenagers or, or young children, it's that negative attention seeking. It doesn't really matter if, to, to, to humans if it's negative or positive, they just want to be seen. So even though the negative attention doesn't produce a positive connection, it's better than not being seen at all. It feels better to be seen negatively than to feel like a nobody. So what we see is that regardless of the pain we are in, when we are seen, when we connect positively, the pain becomes much more manageable, even if nothing changes in our circumstances. Th this is one of the reasons that there's such a huge legal confidentiality issue for anyone that, that does therapy. Because they're going to really reveal who they really are. And we have to make it a very safe, protected environment. So this is the place where we find Hagar in chapter 16 of Genesis. Mistreated, discarded by Sarai, Hagar runs away from her mistress. She feels unworthy, unwanted, and unseen in her, in her flight. She finds herself all alone in the desert, near a spring beside the road to Shur. That's when everything changes for her. So in this chapter, Genesis 16, if we start at verse 6, it says, Sarai told Abram, it's all your fault that I'm suffering this abuse. I put my maid in bed with you, and the minute she knows she's pregnant, she treats me like I'm nothing. 
May God decide which one of us is right. Abram says, you decide. Your maid is your business. Sagar, uh, Sarai was very abusive to Hagar, and Hagar ran away. And in verse 7, it says, An angel of God found her beside a spring in the desert. He said, Hagar, maid of Sarai, what are you doing here? And she said, I'm running away from Sarai, my, my mistress. The angel of God said, go back to your mistress, put up with the abuse. I'm going to give you a big family. Children past what you can count. From this pregnancy, you'll get a son named Ishmael. For God heard you, God answered you, God sees you. He'll be a bucking bronco of a man, a real fighter, fighting and being fought, always stirring up trouble, always at odds with his family. <laughs> That's not necessarily a good prophecy to hear about the, the, the child that you have. But she answered God by his name, praying to, to the God who spoke to her. She says, you are the God who sees me. Yes, he saw me, and then I saw him. That's how the desert spring got named God Alive Sees me spring. The God alive sees me, the spring. The spring is still there, and it's between Kadesh and, and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son. Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 when Hagar gave him a son. So it's amazing. The angel of God appears to her and asks where she comes from and where she's going. How amazing. In her state of feeling less than and not enough, the Lord sees fit to send an angel to speak with her. She's finally seen. She's not anonymous. She's seen. And so the angel of the Lord said, go back to your mistress, submit. I will increase your descendants so much they'll be too numerous to count. So not only is she seen by the Lord, the creator of all things, the almighty of the universe, but her descendants are blessed by him. I mean, can you imagine Hagar's wonderment at the declaration of the angel of the Lord? Why would God look on me, the one who's despised, the unwanted mistress? And the angel tells her, return, return. The same unlivable situation that drove her out into the desert is the one the angel tells her to go back to willingly. But now she has the strength to endure this inevitable hardship because she's been seen. She's been valued by the Lord, the one who sees. So when God sees us, it gives us strength to endure the hard things. <coughs> so imagine just the hardship that Jesus endured on the cross. He endured every beating, every flogging, every conceivable ridicule, an unimaginable pain in order that we might have an unbreakable connection with God, in order to be able to be seen by God because Jesus is the one that covers. So arguably the most painful part of his crucifixion and death was when all the sins of the world were heaped on his shoulders and God looked away. And so we see in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, we hear Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And one of the definitions of the word forsaken is to turn away from. 
So Jesus, in his human condition, this was an unbearable anguish to Jesus. And after crying out to God, asking, why have you turned away from me? He finally said, it's finished. It's finished. And that was the last time those words will ever be uttered. Because what Jesus did on the cross, mortal man will never have to be forsaken by God again. Because Christ was willing to bear the sins of the world, God will never again have to look away from us because of our sin. In Hebrews um, chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I, it, it's, every time I think about this, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. See, I've had, I've had times in my life when I felt so lost, like I was floundering, just plodding along. I couldn't find my way, didn't know where I was going or who I was. Nothing seemed to fit. I knew that God knew where I was, even if I didn't know where I was. I kept asking God to find me, even though I knew I wasn't lost by him. But I needed to be found. I needed to feel found, to be seen. So I would pray to God. I'd say, God, please find me. I don't feel found by you. I don't feel seen by you. Do you see me? Do you see my circumstances? I'm afraid for you to even see what I've done. Have you turned away from me? Have you, I mean, have you ever felt that way? I'm sure you have. I don't know how, this world is a very difficult place. This is how Hagar felt. Once God saw her, she could handle anything. She needed to feel found. She needed to be seen. And so this is what God says to you. He, this is what he says to me. Trust me. Trust me. I am the God who sees you. You may not see, but I'm the God who sees you. I am the way, and I know my own way for you. I am the God who sees you. I'm the God who knows you. I don't lose anything of value, and you are of immense value to me. God says to you and me, I never walk away from what I've made. I am the great I am. I am the God who sees you. I am not as distant as it may feel. I'm not as uninvolved as it may seem. There are things I'm doing in your life that are beyond your comprehension. They're too vast for me to explain them to you. They must just take their course, be experienced, and allowed to have the time needed to complete the good work I am doing in you. So like bread dough that's put aside to rise, to allow the yeast to work its, its work of expansion, God says to you and I, you must wait on my work to complete in you. I am in the waiting. I'm in the ingredients. I'm making sure the necessary order is happening, knowing what the end result needs to be and how much time it will take. I'm not going to abandon you in the process. I will see it through to its full fruition. I'm the God who sees you. I'm the God of formation, and I know my process within you. You can trust the one who died for you. And I love this verse. He says, you call to me and I listen. You call out to me, I hear. I am near, more near than you can conceive. You and I are learning to discern his presence in different ways, in different stages, 
in different places. He says, trust me, trust in me. I'm the one who sees you. So knowing that God sees us and understands us, he's holding our future in the palm of his hand. We are now called to see and understand others. So I'm, I'm asking you, are you looking on others with condemnation and disdain or with compassion, kindness, and love? You can be the eyes of Jesus, looking out on the world in search of the hurt, the forgotten, the lonely, the unseen. And I love that, that uh, Teresa Vavilov, very famous nun, I love this that she wrote. She says, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ must look out onto the world. We, we are to understand that we are forever seen by God, never to be forsaken. Like Hagar, she says, I have now seen the one who sees me. So like Hagar, we can find the strength to endure the hard things in order to see the work of God completed in us, in us and in others. So I can see it done in me, and I get to see it done in you. We are then to see, really see, the hurt, the forgotten, the lonely, the unseen, and to be the eyes of Christ to a hurting world. So I'm going to pose a couple questions to you that I really want you to ponder. First of all, I want you to look for ways to know God sees you in unlikely ways and unusual places. In a compliment you got that maybe you really needed to hear, that's God seeing you. In the song that came on the radio that spoke to you and, and you thought, that's exactly what I needed to hear. In a verse that you might read that cuts straight to your heart. How about when you're driving down the road and you see a billboard that reminded you of something really important or encouraged you? That's when you know God is the God who sees you. So how can you actively seek to see and understand those around you? That's what I really want you to think about. I want you to ask yourself, am I really seeing people? Or am I seeing what I want to see? Am I only seeing the negative? Am I only seeing the things they're not doing for me? Am I only seeing the ways that I'm feeling slighted or offended? I need to look past those things. I want to ask God to give me eyes to see the people in my life that I love to truly see them and to look past their humanness and their imperfection. So we want to ask God to give us a heart that sees the people we love and sees strangers. Many times we look on people, you know, maybe the way they're driving or the way they're dressed or the music that they're listening to or whatever current fashion that they seem to be wearing. And instead of seeing a person that is loved by God, we see all the things we don't like. 
and we judge them. We don't even know them. Many times the people in our life that we think we know, we haven't really taken the time to know. We've been more interested in them seeing us than we have been in seeing them. So how can you actively seek to see and understand those around you? I'm going to read you this um, prayer that St. Teresa of Avila wrote, and it's one of my favorite, favorite poems, favorite prayers. And she says, Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things pass. God does not change. Patience achieves everything. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ must look out onto the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless people. Remember, he is the God who sees. He sees everything. He sees things in us that we don't even know about. He sees sin that we don't even know we have. He also sees beautiful things in us that we don't even know are there. We can trust the one who died for us. And we can learn to be trustworthy people for the people that he brings in our lives. He is the God who sees. He's the God who hears. He is the God who is near. And he is the one who loves so deeply, so completely. That's how he loves you. That's how he wants us to love others. Now remember, we've done, I, I've done lots of shows you, you, that you listen to where we talk about you know, the hallmark of an adult can handle negative feelings, can tolerate negative feelings, and is intolerant of bad behaviors. So we need to be intolerant of bad behaviors. I'm not saying that you just overlook and just whatever happens to you happens to you and you just take everything. That, that's not even what Jesus did. That's not what God does. But when we are loving people deeply and we are in their life and we are a part of their process and they are a part of our process, we need to continuously ask God to have eyes to see. Eyes to see. Where's the pain behind the sin? Where's the fear behind all that nastiness that you may be experiencing? All that attitude, rejection, judgment. This is what we want to do. We want to say, God, give me eyes to see the people that you've brought into my life. I want to love them well. I want to be your eyes with compassion, the compassion of Christ. I want to be your feet that go about doing good, and I want to be your hands that bless people. So thank you so much for joining me today. I want you to be one who sees. And I want you to be seen as well. Don't be afraid to be seen. This is Cynthia Hyatt. Make sure you... 
Go to the website. You can listen to the shows in their entirety if you miss them. You can certainly look at all the different social media that we have. And I so appreciate you listening today. And God bless you. He sees you and loves you. Have a great weekend. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.